I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ramdas's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ramdas, Krishnadas, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more. The Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Hi everyone, this is Chris Grosso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast hosted on the Be Here Now Network. And my guest today is Kamlesh D. Patel. Kamlesh, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank uh, you for having me. Thank you. So I want to read your bio really quick before we jump into this conversation that I'm very excited to have with you. And we're going to talk about your wonderful book, The Heartfulness Way, co-authored with Joshua Pollock. Uh, but first... Uh, Kamlesh D. Patel, also known as Daji, is the fourth and current spiritual guide of the Heartfulness Movement. Born in Gajarat, India, Daji showed an early interest in meditation and spiritual growth. He met his guide, Ram Chandra of Shanjananapur, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing this, um, the second spiritual guide in the Heartfulness tradition and founder and first president of Sri Ram Chandra Mission in 1976. This was when he was in school to study pharmacology. After graduating with honors in 1980, Daji moved to the United States and practiced pharmacy in New York City while continuing the practice of heartfulness. After Ram Chandra's passing, Daji became a devoted disciple of his successor. Do you want to pronounce this one for me? Because I don't want to. Beautiful. Thank you very much. And then in October of 2011, Daji was proclaimed his successor. Following his guide's passing on the December 20th of 2014, Daji became the global guide for heartfulness practitioners. To learn more about um, Daji and the Heartfulness Way, please visit theheartfulnessway.com backslash us or if you're watching this on the be here now network simply scroll down and the link will be there for you just to click on and it'll take you right over so all of that said again thank you so much for being with me today so first question um well first of all i'm really excited about this um i know our our friend beth uh, grossman is the one who introduced me to your work and she usually sends, when I work with any of her authors, some questions over, and I'll usually use some of those, incorporate my own, and just see where the conversation goes. But the first question she had sent me, and uh, I'm interested in this because I want to make sure that I am um, honoring you and your work correctly. Do you prefer that I call you Kamlesh or Daji? You can call me Kamlesh. It's okay. Sure. Okay. But what well, was with you? Sure. So, well, can you tell me what um, Daji means? Daji simply means father's younger brother. Ah, very nice. I like that. Thank you. So, you know, we talked about in the bio, you had a, a very successful career as a pharmacist, and you even owned several pharmacies in the New York City area. Um, but then you moved back to India to lead the heartfulness uh, tradition. So... Before you tell us about the heartfulness tradition, can you talk a bit about what life was like for you in the United States? 
it was great. <laughs> and, uh, I haven't left US as yet. I'm, I still come back and forth, and I do travel all over. Sure, yeah. I immigrated in 1981 to US. Yeah. And you know, land. It's a country of opportunity, land of opportunity. Sure. And I began my practice as a pharmacist in Brooklyn. Very nice. And uh, that was in 1984. That's when I started my business as well. And then one after the another, with the help of the wholesalers and you know, Mr. Uh, Rumi Englander, the wholesaler, owner of it, he helped me to come to, you know, one by one acquiring one pharmacy after another pharmacy in New York City. And uh, we grew to have almost 15 uh, drugstores in New York City. Wow. And we still have them. And uh, my partners and uh, some of the guys who have been working with us, they are maintaining them and they are running those uh, pharmacies, some of whom have joined me as a partner. And the uh, person who started with me in 1984 is still with us. Yeah. Even the employees who started with us, you know, who were hired, they're also, you know, growing older with us. And, uh, I would say we have 95% retention of employees in our pharmacy. That's wonderful. Yes, yes. Wow. So I want to ask you a question about this. It's a little off topic, but I thought you might have some insight that has not been shared with me before, and maybe you don't, and if you don't, that's fine. But I've spoken with a lot of doctors or neuroscientists, people that work with individuals in regards to um, any kind of mental health issues, addictions, things of that nature. And one thing a lot of them have said is they feel like there is an over-prescription of medication. Not to say that people do not need medication, because certainly people do, as you're very well aware. But in the U.S., especially, they see an over-prescription. It's the quick fix is just take a pill and you'll be better, rather than working through certain issues. Now, I know um, that may not, again, be your specific line of expertise, but is it something that you've noticed at all in your line of work with the uh, in the pharmaceutical industry? Yes, I did. Yeah. Yes, uh, it's over-prescribed, uh, I would say, syndrome in, in the society today. Yeah. When, and, you know, because of the easy availability of physicians, because you can afford to go, because you're not paying for it. Right. And often you have insurance, often you're assisted by the government. So you think you can go from doctor to doctor, doctor to doctor, to have a quick fix. And uh, you know there is ego always involved. If if you are in a meeting with a doctor, one doctor would say, well, "I'm going to prescribe you Xanax or Ambien for your sleep." And you know they will have their plus and minus, uh, and that is going to happen because everybody has different ideas. And uh, then the patient gets confused. And if the patient is not very smart or intelligent, they end up taking both. Calcium as well as Xanax, and then what happens? They'll end up in emergency. Right. So I, I think multiple visits to doctors here and there. It's not recommended. I would say, if you have a simple problem, just go to one family practice. They're good enough yeah. to help. If only he suggests that now you see a specialist, then you should go and see a specialist. Sure. Or uh, if you are not, if you if he has prescribed you on medicine. Often, uh, medicine takes time. For example, if you are on Lexapro, it, it takes time about a week or two weeks sometimes before it kicks in and have a beneficial effect. Right. And before that happens, you want to have a quick fix and it's not going to happen. Right. right? So you end up going to another doctor. Yeah. So this is the, I think patience is required. Absolutely, yeah some level of understanding, some level of cooperation, some level of trust with your initial physician. Uh, yeah, well, I appreciate that. I, I've actually been on Lexapro myself. I've taken antidepressants over the years. I didn't shock doctors like a lot of people I've known do. Um, I'm personally in recovery from drugs and alcohol, and part of my issue with that was that 
I would be prescribed, let's say you mentioned Xanax, I wouldn't get Xanax, but Klonopin or another benzodiazepine to help with my anxiety. But the anxiety was a result predominantly of the amount of alcohol I was consuming. And then I made the mistake of mixing benzodiazepines with alcohol. And it's, as you are very aware, very, it could, a potentially lethal combination. And I have ended up in the emergency room because of it. And I know a lot of people that are also in recovery um, where they had no addiction issues, but let's say they suffered some form of an injury, work-related, they were in an accident, whatever the case may be, but they're prescribed um, oxycodone or you know some kind of opiate, and they just become addicted. And you know, and then a lot of them I know, unfortunately, the prescription runs out. They doctor shop. That only goes so far, and then they end up. Not all of them, of course, but a lot of people I know have ended up turning to things like heroin. And, you know, these are people who it just spirals down so quickly, whereas, you know, they, they may not be getting the proper care and attention they need. Um, and I know it's not uh, strict strictly in the U.S. that this is happening. I know it's a worldwide thing, but so, being so honest, well, yeah, yeah. You're right. But you see, deep down, with the... I mean, any form of drug addiction, yeah. it's heroin or codons or oxycodons or benzodiazepines. Inside every person, there's a desire to change level of consciousness. They want to feel good. Yeah. They want to forget things, forget pain, forget anxiety. And uh, they would like to go within in such a way that that inner state doesn't question their conscience. Inner state uh, becomes somehow enjoyable. Whether you are a yogi or a drug addict, both have the same goal. One wants, both of them want to have change in consciousness, shift in consciousness, expansion of consciousness. Only thing is that yogi use internal ways of uh, going within and expand consciousness. While uh, if you are depending on external things, drugs, etc., then it's going to affect you accordingly. Uh, and it's always temporary fix. So you cannot fix the inside permanently with external things. And, and that's why there is so much of talk about meditations and etc. So what you just said, two things came up for me, and then I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this wonderful book. Um, but I, there were two two things. Um, one, you reminded me of a story that um, Ram Das has told on a number of occasions, and this is a show hosted on his network and. I'm very honored to to do that um, and in podcasts with within the Love Surfer member um, lineage. But Ram Das has talked about uh, an experience he had talking with his guru Maharaji uh, named Karoli Baba, and you know very early on Ram Das was heavily involved in psychedelics and um, and Maharaji said, you know. They can be of benefit to certain seekers. They can get you into the room to see the face of Christ. However, you are always going to have to leave the room because you're getting there through an external substance that's bringing you there that will, like you said, it's a temporary fix. And um, and I've often <coughs> thought about that um, in relation to those those kinds of, uh, whether it's psychedelics or plant medicines or whatever the case may be, people that are looking even in a spiritual context to expand their consciousness. So that made me think of that. Um, and I wanted to hear if you had any thoughts on that. And then the other part of it is just speaking to meditation and the important role that plays, not just for anyone looking to expand consciousness, but just in in the broadest sense, the benefits of meditation. Yes, yes, it is true. Uh, meditation is so easy and simple, actually, unlike what people say, oh, when I meditate, I have so many thoughts. This is a usual complaint people have. Uh, whenever I close my eyes and I try to focus, 
I'm attacked by my own self. So many thoughts. I mean, it's like a tornado, volcano, eruption inside. Thoughts of the thoughts of the thoughts. Yeah. Uh, heartfulness way is very simple. Very simple. Uh, because it it makes use of energy we call transmission, or in Sanskrit they call it pranarupi. And, and we'll go back and forth with uh, definitions, how, what, what I mean by that. So, to make it very simple, I mean, who, whosoever it be, I mean, people who have been meditating, makes this meditation different, is this use of this uh, divine energy or this uh, transmission. Moment you close your eyes and you invoke this energy transmission, it enters in you. You don't have to believe my words. I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, it's a matter of experience only. How to get get into this experience? You call any of our trainers, or you can um, download one of the apps. Let's meditate app, heartfulness way. And you request for a transmission or a request for a one-to-one session. Either you can have it online or you can have it via app or you can call one of those trainers. They're all available to you. They're all personal trainers and no one charges any money because all are volunteers and we have more than, I would say, 10,000 trainers worldwide. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And suppose if you're in New York City and in the middle of night, at two in the morning, you felt that I must meditate with the help of transmission. You connect through this uh, WhatsApp, let's meditate, I mean, not WhatsApp, let's meditate app. Yep. And it will search for a trainer available. He could be in China. And he would say, okay, Chris, it's time to meditate. He'll ping you and say, okay, you can begin now. He would or she would sit wherever they are, and you would sit in New York City or wherever you are, and uh, sit for about 20 minutes or half an hour, and see what happens. So people who are already meditating, it is great, it is easy for them to see the difference. Those who have never meditated, and they would like to understand what is the difference, then I would only say, Compare it. See, often when I I give the example of how in pharma industry they make a research of a new molecule, new drug. When a new molecule is found, what do they do? It is compared with the placebo. So if I have a headache and I, I take a placebo, if the if it can cure me. It has a placebo type effect, right? And if a, if a real medicine is there, it would it is going to cure me 90% of the time. Hmm. Placebo may cure, may not cure. If a new molecule is going to be as effective as a placebo, then why would you market it? The new hmm. drug has to be better than the placebo. Right. Right? So, in this case, meditation with transmission, and meditation without transmission. You are able to compare the results. You have already meditated, for example, and now if I tell you, let's, let's meditate now with transmission. So you'll be able to see the difference yourself. Because yeah. you have done it before. See? And the people who have not done this meditation before, just do it without transmission, and then request for a special session of meditation with one of the trainers, either online or in person or via this phone telephonic conversations. So similar to, to Lexapro, you were saying it, you know, sometimes will take a week, two weeks for an individual to start feeling any of the results for to start working within your system. Um, the same way meditation for many people also takes, it could be Someone might have a, an experience the first time they sit down if they're a brand new meditator. But the general rule of thumb from at least what I've heard or people that have taught meditation um, that I've come in contact with say, similar almost to Lexra, it takes a few weeks, a few months. Everyone's different, of course, and we're each going to have our ex 
experience. So let's say someone is listening who's never meditated and you're recommending they meditate first before they have um, the meditation with transmission. Would you suggest they only sit maybe one or two times or would you say maybe give it a couple of weeks on your own so you get a real feel for it and then try the transmission method through heartfulness? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I, my experience is I've been meditating since 1976. Sure, yeah. And um, 99% of the time, the very first session will tell you how, how effective it is for you. 99%. The very first session will tell you, oh, I wish I had this before in my life. Sure. So, and then once you like it, you're bound to continue. Definitely, yeah. And uh, there are many other elements to this uh, heartfulness way. One is meditation, mm. right? Meditation with transmission. There's another feature to this practice. We call it cleaning or rejuvenation, how to clean yourself. I mean, there's nothing dirty about what is happening in our mind, right? But mind is always impressed by things. Let us see if someone curses you or someone is angry at you. You feel inside, oh, why is that? Why is he angry at me? Or why is he angry with me? Why is he irritated with me? It will affect your psyche. Or, per contra, uh, if you get angry on someone and then later on you realize, oh, I wish I was not angry with that person. Right? But that person has already formed an impression because you were angry. That person is already affected by your anger. And how are you going to clean the impressions that you have created on that person? You wish you could reverse the situation. Right? Sometimes you would like to get rid of the uh, impression that forget the things, but you can remove the psychological impact of the action that was um, deflected on you. For example, when your friend gets angry on you, and you want to remove the psychological impact or emotional impact on yourself, we can use this cleaning. Not that you'll forget it. You'll say, oh, you'll remember it like a humorous story. Oh, my dear friend, you were angry at me. But you'll not have the emotional baggage once you have gone through this cleaning process. As a pharmacist, many people have cursed me because I would not fill the prescription because they came too soon. Sure, yeah. You see? And that does affect me personally, too. Earlier, it, I used to get, you know, why is this person cursing me? I would not understand. But later on, I would understand that they have taken two or three at the same time. They didn't understand that. that you feel sorry for them, see? Yeah. But in the beginning, I would sad, and then I would say, oh, what is this? I wish this person would never come to my pharmacy. You know, you start thinking like that. But when you go home and in the evening, when you sit for this cleaning process, then you realize Oh, that person was not so bad. It's health. So you feel compassionate automatically, you know, instead of judging the person when the emotional impression that it was created earlier is removed. You are able to free up your mind and think better. Mm-hmm. So, so we teach this method of cleaning, how to do the cleaning. And... Uh, I think these are the main two elements to this practice. And there are, of course, many, many minor ones also that comes to our uh, constant, ex- helping us in constant expansion of consciousness. Yes, which I, I definitely want to jump into that. So, but before we do, take us back to how you first discovered heartfulness. Um, what was your introduction to this practice and path? Okay. Well, earlier, before 1976, yeah. you know, I used to meditate now and then, so not very regularly, but sure. I would sit in, on my bed and just, I was in the school. Visit my room and, and watch me meditate and 
After a few days, he developed some uh, courage and criticized. He said, he said, you're wasting your life. You're wasting your time. What were you doing? He said, how so? He said, come, come with me. I'll take you to a lady. He didn't use this word, actually, lady. He, t- he told me, in those days, the word chick was used badly or good way. And he said, let me take you to a chick. He'll put you in trance right away. He said, why not? Let's go. Sure. And, sure. Uh, <laughs> and that's how I began. And he, we, we went to uh, this person's residence. She was a very humble lady. She was in her 50s. And she says, I can teach you how to meditate. I can transmit to you. Just relax, close your eyes, and think that the divine is already present in your heart. You don't have to search divinity. It's already there. Our job is to simply experience it. That's all. And I say, okay. So she said, I'll, I'll transmit to you, I'll work on you, and then you'll, I'll say, that's all, when it is all over. So I said, and the moment it started transmission, I was kind of lifted up like this, you know, not physically, but I felt as if I was lifted up by some energy and then tumbled upside down, zoom, gone. It's like, you know, what you see in Star Trek. Yeah. Beam me up, Scotty, <laughs> and you're gone. <laughs> I, was, I was totally gone. Wow. Within Seconds I was gone, and that was the first time experience of meditation for me, real experience, which people crave for so much in India. They call it samadhi. Yeah. And I, my beginning was like this, instant samadhi. And that was it. And I felt yes, I found my path. This is I, this is something I should carry on throughout my life. That was the first feeling I had. Wow. Um, so that was that's how I began. It was a good beginning. That's beautiful. And so, yeah, that's your introduction. And um, so you came to New York, and well, so yeah, you you had that introduction. Tell me a little bit about, and that was in India. Tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about what happened after that experience of samadhi of you know. You tasted it. Um, you had this beautiful experience. What what happened from there for you? She, she, she says, in order to be initiated into the system, you need to have three sessions. Okay. So she had already given me one, and she said, I'm going to send you to another trainer because you have such a uh, prepared field within you. And, and you'll benefit more from the other person. So she sent me to another gentleman mm. from whom I took the rest of the true initiatory sittings. We call these sittings or meditation sessions. And then as for their prescription, I followed it morning and evening, morning and evening, morning meditation and evening cleaning. So twice a day we used to do it. And it was fun. It was really a lot of fun. And once I started that, a lot of my friends started, my dean also started, dean of my college. And uh, we used to meditate afterward together in school itself. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were almost 20, 25 of us meditating together. And it was quite energetic, actually, when many people meditate together. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, fun, it's a fun type of a thing. When I came to U.S., I was all alone. <laughs> I first I was in Chicago, then I cleared my exam, New York State Board, and moved to Weehawken, New Jersey. And um, my wife joined me there. She was meditating. I was meditating. And now and then, some guests would come who would just say, "Okay, let's meditate also." And slowly we started. And you know, we had a very small group in Manhattan. Hmm. We were hardly about three, four individuals meditating. And now we have more than 400, 500 uh, meditators in New York City. Wow. And it's beautiful. And they have a special meditation center in Monroe, New Jersey. Wow. It's, it's wonderful. And they have actually in the United States, we have almost eight meditation centers, which are uh, where people can go and meditate and retreat themselves. 
and actually more than 200 meditation centers. Like, you know, I started in my house and we hawk and people would come and say, when I, when I was a trainer, when I trainer in the sense, one who is able to transmit. So there comes a time in one's life when you start meditating and you come to a certain level of consciousness, uh, you are made into a trainer, kind of, if you are willing to serve others. Um, so I became a trainer sometime in 1987. Mm. And uh, so, Sometimes while I'm filling prescriptions, you know, when I talk of meditation to my patients, and they say, oh, I would like to meditate, then I would just you know, take a break for a few minutes and uh, transmit to them and meditate with them, see, in the pharmacy area. And uh, if I'm too busy with the prescriptions, I say, all right, you come back at seven, when I'm closing the pharmacy, you can sit in the pharmacy and meditate. So that's how my journey began in, in the United States, slowly and slowly. And I think in the United States, we, I think we must have introduced more than a few thousand uh, seekers on the path. Wow. Yeah. And I tell you, without an exception, without an exception, I found every meditation they found extraordinarily enjoyable. That's wonderful. And the most striking aspect of this meditation is how you feel after each meditation. Not what you go through during meditation, but the result of doing meditation is so intense. You feel very light, mm. as, as if you're walking on clouds. Yeah. And so, with, with this heartfulness way, um, it sounds like, you know, you mentioned your experience of samadhi. With the heartfulness way as you're describing it and talking about that experience, I'm thinking of um, Ramana Maharshi, for example, who, you know, his process of self-inquiry. And I know it's two different things, but the goal seems to be the same, reaching that place of connecting with your true self, with a capital S, the one being um, that we truly are. Is, is that correct? Is that what the heartfulness way basically will lead a practitioner too? Is that kind of what, what the goal is there? Yeah. Goal is always to realize who you are. Yeah. You see? Any practice actually, mm. any spiritual practice, I'm making a broad conclusion. Of course, yeah. yeah. The spiritual goal of any practice is, we have to understand one thing, that whatever Consciousness we have, field of consciousness we have, or the thin layer of consciousness that we have. Right. If you compare it physically, if it is tiny, 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 one millimeter layer of consciousness, then we are sandwiched. This consciousness is sandwiched between two giant oceans, one of superconsciousness, which is an ocean, another is a subconscious ocean. You are, you are sandwiched between two giants. Idea is to allow this thin, very thin layer of consciousness which is available to us, to allow it to soar higher into superconsciousness and allow it to dive deeper into subconscious. And it's very simple, once you do this, your experience will tell you, okay, yes, this is it, this is what I want. So, yeah, as you're, as you're sharing that, I've had experiences of this oneness, um, the kind of oneness where I, Chris, it's no longer, Chris has left the building. It is just pure. There's no oh, difference between what's seeing through these eyes and the tree that it is looking upon in this moment. A very, you know, beautiful experience. Um, and I have a dedicated meditation practice and I work with mantra and various things. Um, but then I'll read books or listen to talks from people like Nisargadatta Maharaj. And they're talking about 
you don't need to practice. It's all there is. You know, we just wake up from that thin veil as you described it. Um, it's a dream. It's all an illusion. And, you know, I've spoken with many seekers and people on the path and it can be very confusing for some people, you know, because yes, we are these spiritual beings having this human experience, but then we're also in a way human beings having a human experience. And so trying to find the balance between the two and not negate the fact that we are still going to experience pain and illness. I know you're feeling under the weather yourself and these things still happen because we're in these human bodies. So it can be a fine line to walk. What are your thoughts on that? And in of course. <coughs> his own journey to make. What is good for you, what is good for me, may not be suitable to another person. So. Right. Here, with this heartfulness, I have found that the experiences one go through, either it's priest or Kamlesh or, or Dalai Lama, the journey is the same. Stations on the path are the same. Uh, let us say if you have reached Everest, if you are facing in some direction, if you are facing south, can you expect sunrise even if you are on the top? Yeah. You won't experience it. Though, though you are at the top, because your direction is different. Ah. Your goal is different. Mm. Though inside we say, oh, I want to achieve this, I want to be that. So the journey is like this, I tell you, from the beginning itself. Uh, uh, when a seeker comes, they have all kinds of things. Right? We say, okay, let's begin our journey with one simple thought, with one simple suggestion that there is divine presence in my heart. That's a beginning, it's a thought. Now, this thought must result into an experience or a feeling. If I continue to have a thought that there is divine light, there is divine light, there is divine light, like a mantra, and I don't feel the divine light, then there's something wrong with my approach. Mm. It must translate into experience. Right. Yeah. Something. Is it enough to have experience for half hour or one moment or one day or one year? And after one year, you are again bankrupt with your spiritual experiences. It will be more painful, actually, if you are a millionaire for one day and you have all the freedom to do whatever you like. And then from second day, when you don't have even one dollar in your pocket, you feel miserable. Right. So likewise, you may have the best experience in meditation, but what if it doesn't continue? Then there is this spiritual bankruptcy. And even if you have a constant experience of something profound for very long, long, long time, uninterrupted, yet you'll be thirsty of something because you want to become something. Now, it's not that you want to experience million dollar or what million dollars can buy you. No, I want to become millionaire. I, I experience love, but I must become love in the process. Right? So this journey begins from thinking, to feeling, to becoming, 
And the stage would come when you are in a state of being all the time. And then this being blissful will be such later on in life that it becomes a burden to you. Hmm. Then, oh, let me drop this also. And then true freedom comes afterwards, that you're not even impressed by bliss. You can, you can kick it. Is that where you would say Satchit Ananda then is happening? Sat, it's beyond all that. Satchit Ananda, it's a, it's a toy for a saint or a yogi. Sure, okay. You see, it's, it's a very primary state actually, Satchit Ananda. Literally, it means it's a formula to me, uh, it, which is passed down through ages. Hmm. Sat, it, it means status, Sat or truth. Chit is, chit is consciousness. Right. Ananda is bliss. It is through this expansion of chit or the consciousness you arrive at bliss. It's a formula. It is nothing more than that. Mm. It's mm. a code word. Satchitanan means fix your chit, fix your consciousness, you will have the ananda. It's not a state also, which is passed down by people, by, you know, generations after generations. This word is gone down into Hindu, Hindu psyche without understanding the true meaning of it. Mm. One day it struck me during meditation, wow, this is not a state. It is actually a formula passed down. It's a secret passed down that you fix your consciousness in a bliss. But what do you do with bliss? Imagine honey, honey bee, in a bowl of honey. Have you seen that moment when honey bee is in a bowl of honey? It will die. Mm. Right. So that's what happens to a yogi who is so in an utter state of bliss. It's okay, but it is still not the final thing. Because mm. it's still an experience, it's still a state. It is a journey where we begin with thoughts, we experience the thing that we were meditating on. Yeah. Like, you know, people do mantra, for example, and uh, they go on reciting with the bits, yeah. the closed eyes. And of course, as long as you are playing with the bits, your mind will be on the bits. As long as, now you forget the bits, and you move on to, let us say, mantra. Or some whatever words have been given to you sure. as a mantra. You go on reciting, but you're busy reciting. Where is the meditation? You're busy reciting words. It's like you know your friend calls you and you say honey, 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 and you don't let the other person talk to you. Mm -hmm. So similarly, when you recite mantra, Om, 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 and you think God will respond, God does respond, but you're not listening. You're too busy talking. Hmm. So just in regards to mantra, help me understand this, because um, that, that's that's such a, a, an important point, and I, and I deeply value that. What I've learned from teachers is that, yes, of course, when we start doing mantra, we're doing the mantra, but over time, if sincerely practiced, the mantra then does us, so to speak. So we are no longer consciously saying Om, for example, Om is just resonating and that way we can actively listen to our girlfriend mm -hmm. or whomever we're speaking with. Is is that something you would agree with in your own experience, or do you not see it that way? I see it only in this way, uh, that, you know, you can use a crutch or a cane if you cannot walk. Uh, mm -hmm. I have dispensed thousands of them. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot even use the cane or a crutch, you need a wheelchair. Mm. So, for a person who is not able to rest his mind on very subtle things, 
he may have to use mantra. Those mantras become the crutch or a cane for a person who is not able to regulate the mind. Mm. It's a primary thing we give. And then we, once the patient becomes stronger, you can kick the crutch, you can move the cane away also, you can start walking. Mm. Then you don't mm. need cane or a crutch. I like that. Yeah, thank you for that. So what happens when you are able to allow the mind to jump straight into the essence of a thing, which is divinity, and you're able to experience it. You don't need any other support. Mm -hmm. And that's what this transmission does. Yeah. Transmission here uh, guides our consciousness inside in some mysterious fashion. Let me give you an example. I, I don't know. Where are you from in the I, United States? I actually live right next to New York in Connecticut. So oh, yeah, Connecticut. Oh, wonderful. I'll be in Manhattan on Tuesday. A desert, Nevada desert, for example. Yeah. Uh, well, it rarely rains. Yeah. If it rains, I mean, it's, it's okay. Uh, but in summertime, you'll see the trees and the cactus. They're almost dying, almost dying. But the root system is such, it keeps the cactus life going on. Mm. Or the trees would be thriving and alive just through the root system. Whatever underground water is giving them, fine. Even after two months or three months, it rains once in Nevada Desert. The whole tree blooms. It, it, it's as if life has returned. That's what this transmission does, I think. Our soul is there. It gives us life. But when this transmission descends and you really experience it in your heart, I mean, you can see the inside out, you simply bloom with your consciousness. So much of joy. And then it is up to you how to retain it and Make it multiply. That's beautiful. And I know you mentioned this earlier, but something I wanted to reiterate as we're starting to run out of time, um, something I am so deeply impressed with anytime someone does this, um, but the heartfulness um, transmissions, there is no charge. Is that correct? It's absolutely free. Zero charge. That's I amazing. asked once for uh, Ramchandra, my first guru. Yeah. And why don't you charge? When he said there is no charge for it, then I asked my second question, was, why don't you charge? It's such a good thing. He says, I got it for freely, mm. and mm. I like to distribute it for free. Mm. And then he, he added such a beautiful uh, argument. He says, God is not for sale. Ah. And if God was for sale, Kamlesh, how much can you pay? And if Kamlesh can pay for it, hmm. it's beautiful. So I was bored, when I mean, you know, it was, <laughs> it was a beautiful argument which you cannot decide. The system, I think, uh, it's for all. Even here, I'm in an ashram right now in Hyderabad. Uh, anyone can enter and stay here and, and, and get food also. No one is going to question you how much you're going to pay for it. But at the same time, there are many generous people. When they do find the benefit, I mean, it comes in plenty. And there are many who just look the other way around and quietly deposit what they have to do. I mean, it's... Uh, it's a beautiful thing. That is so beautiful. Yeah, and I appreciate that you are making that so accessible to anyone that has a means of, of logging into a computer, of finding one of the centers, of even if they can't afford the book, taking out of a, a library, um, whatever the case may be. And I want to remind the audience, um, the website again is theheartfulnessway.com backslash US. The name of the book is The Heartfulness Way authored by my guest today, Kamlash Patel, and co-authored with 
Joshua Pollock. And just briefly, before we end, I wanted to read the what's on the back jacket of the book just to leave our listeners with a little bit of a what it's about because it's a beautiful read and it's just um i think a very nice extension of our conversation today and what you're offering to the world and so in regards to the book the heartfulness way it says our modern fast-paced world tells us that in order to be happy and fulfilled we must invest our time and energy in chasing status success and accumulating as much as we can Yet this approach often leaves us feeling empty inside. What if there is another way? What if instead of gambling our contentment on life's transient fortunes, we learn to be heartfelt instead? Heartfulness is a unique, accessible practice that awakens us to the wisdom and inspiration that comes from the heart and transforms us from within. A record of dialogues between the spiritual guide of the heartfulness movement and his student The Heartfulness Way reveals step-by-step guidance for an authentic heartfulness practice, including its core techniques of relaxation, meditation, cleaning, and prayer. You'll also discover the power of yogic transmission as a means to true spiritual growth and deeper well-being. Using these experiential tools, you'll realize the joy of a truly heartful life, one filled with compassion, acceptance, and love. And I think that is just absolutely beautiful, Kamlesh. And I deeply bow to you and thank you for bringing this into the world and offering it again for anybody. Thank you so much. I bow to you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time and have a nice rest of your day. And I hope you feel better soon. Please accept my invitation. If you come to India, visit us. I, I would love that. That would be beautiful. Those are open. Yes. Again, the backslash US, wherever you are in the world and you're listening to this, please check them out. Thank you again, Kamlesh.